got a handout. I was going to try and get it. Um, it's from a book by, you might have to show him, there's about 30 there. Um, a book by Timothy Bottoms, uh, which is documenting the, uh, the slaughter in Queensland, but also up into the Gulf Country, uh, which, which I'm going to talk a little bit about today. And I'd just like to acknowledge uh, Jason DeSantolo, who, who I work with at Jambana, who's just come back from the Gulf Country. That's his people up there. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be talking about uh, the slaughter of those people, but also the resistance of those people that continues, continues today. They continue to fight that invasion. And it's great. Uh, Ken Canning, legend of the Aboriginal movements here as well, strong Murray man. So talking about Queensland and Borrelulu with two people in the room make you a bit nervous, but <laughs> we'll see what we can, um, you know, put forward some, put forward some analysis here. Um, about trying to explain some of this. Uh, I did, did want to open by, by just talking. We, we are having a, a session about the, the myth of Anzac, and you can't get a more stark uh, contradiction, I think, or, or an illustration of the ridiculousness of, of um, the content of Australian nationalism, where the wars that forged Australia are apparently on a beach in Turkey somewhere, where the wars that actually forged Australia in real terms, in terms of made Australia you know, the, the capitalist settler, you know, country that we have today, you know, the, the evidence of those wars is in, the, is in the bones that are under, you know, every single town and, and, and every single province, you know, right across, right across this country. Um, and, and, you know, we've got, what, four to 5,000 memorials across Australia to the war dead overseas. There'd be a handful of little plaques in different places to actually commemorate the, you know, sort of the frontier wars. And it's coming up a bit, I think. It's, you know, being, being uh, popularised more, this ridiculous, you know, notion of the wars, wars that forged Australia being overseas when the frontier wars are ignored, um, you know, by Aboriginal protest. You know, this year, actually, the police stopped a march in Canberra of people that were carrying placards um, showing... Uh, um, commemorating different massacres who tried to march behind the Anzac march uh, in Canberra and the police actually lined up and stopped them from marching. You know, so as was been saying before, this process of ideological struggle was a real struggle in the w real world. It's not just about putting your ideas forward. You have to fight for them and you have to fight for them, for them to be heard. And Henry Reynolds has written a recent book uh, called Forgotten War, which is, again, popularising this, this idea that the frontier wars have, are forgotten. And he, he actually has got a chapter in that book which makes a good point, which I'll just sort of make here, that, that highlights this. And that's in the, in the War Memorial, they have the, the first dead that are commemorated in the War Memorial was Australian uh, troops or New South Wales, uh, a colony of New South Wales troops who died in the Sudan in 1885. That's the first names you see as like the, the, the warriors of Australia. Um, none of them were killed in battle. Uh, they all died of dysentery or, you know, on the boat on the way back home. Uh, when they went over there to the Sudan to try and put down the indigenous insurgency in Sudan, they weren't needed, they were hopeless, they were useless. The British put them off to just sort of like guard the rail line. Um, but that's like the, the war, you know, that, that, that opens the, the memorial in the, in the war memorial. 1885... Meanwhile, there is a war raging um, in the northern, the northern part of Australia. Uh, the, the four months that those, uh, that those men are, uh, are away fighting in the Sudan, you've actually got 13 settlers killed in the north of Queensland by, by Aboriginal resistance. Uh, you've got 30 patrols of the native police, uh, which, were, which were described before, which were a death squad, a s death squads, standing death squads that serve no other purpose than massacring uh, Aboriginal people right across the, the state of Queensland. Um, in the Northern Territory, 17 Aboriginal people were massacred on uh, Glen, Glen Helen Station just near Alice Springs. And there was a letter published uh, while they were away in the South, Af uh, South Australian Register, uh, by, so in Adelaide, by a Dr Robert Morris, who was a colonial surgeon, 
and nominal protector of Aborigines in Darwin, and he published this letter to raise awareness about these frightful massacres that had just um, sort of taken place in the in the Northern Territory, where he said not less than 150 Aborigines had been killed, the great part of them women and children. Modern estimates of those massacres actually put the figure well above 200. Um, this was in response to four miners uh, being killed on the Daly River uh, to the south of Darwin, and in response to the miners uh, being killed by by the Aboriginal resistance fighters, uh, they uh, Inspector Falsh, who's just like this butcher, uh, who, who who reigned in Darwin as the head of the as the head of the uh, troopers that would go out and kill Aboriginal people for for 34 years. He was in Darwin. Inspector Falsh got four punitive parties. Uh, gathered them up, posses, plied them with government ammunition, government guns, and sent them out with the orders to bury the remains of any natives you kill um, and basically kill any blacks you see. They also had a, um, a, a police party uh, that, that was sent out, and it's the police party that killed the 150 that was mentioned. And they didn't mention the, 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 the settler parties, the punitive parties. They were sent to the east, they were sent to the west, and they were sent south. The, the men who killed the miners were actually caught and tried <laughs> but to teach the blacks a lesson, uh, they, they, sent these, they, sent these, they sent these punitive parties out. So it's a, I think it's a really important question about why is this? Why is this history buried? Why we hear nothing about this? You know, maybe some token little thing, but nothing about the systematic slaughter that, that forged Australia, whereas the other ones um, celebrated. Um, I was listening to some of the, these so-called history wars, you know, under, under John Howard, where Howard denied there were massacres, denied there was war, and promoted an idiot by the name of Keith Windshuttle, who's a bumbling buffoon. I mean, the guy, you know... Why anyone puts him on a platform or anything, you never know. I mean, what he says is just garbage. But, you know, he's debating Henry Reynolds, and he said that what's at stake is the national character. You know, what's at stake is the national character. People talk about Australia that there was genocide here. And, that, you know, this would put us in the category of Nazi Germany and, quote, um, you know, what did he say? That um, that would mean that we've got to make the kind of reparations that the German people made to the Jews. But our history is not of that kind. You know, uh, that these are a few small isolated incidents. There's no genocide. Uh, that, that it's the question of national character. I'd argue today, and it's the theme of the earlier session, there's no such thing as national character. <laughs> Nationalism's a myth that constructed to try and bind together a deeply unequal class-ridden society where you've got wealthy, elite people who actually run and control everything. They own everything. They make all the decisions. They run the media. That's, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the elites. They're, they're the ruling class. They try and build this idea that we're all in it together, that there's this nation that somehow, you know, James Packer's got something in common with, you know, a homeless person on the streets of Sydney. They're all together in the Australian nation. It's a very important idea that there is this national character. There is no national character. What is on trial is actually this elite, them, the system of settler capitalism itself, the legitimacy of the system, and the actions of the, the ruling class in Australia that perpetrated this bloody war right across the country. And, and, and Tony Roberts is a historian who's done a lot of work uh, with people in the, in, in the Gulf country and, and to actually expose the extent to which it was the colonial elite uh, that very, very, in a very, very hands-on way organised these massacres in a very, very systematic way. He says, quote, When you know who owned the stations on which the Aboriginals were killed and when you know the names of the politicians who knowingly allowed it to happen, you also know the who's who of colonial Australia. That's why um, some people still want this history to remain hidden. 
1985, when this is, you know, when this, you know, war for the nation starting in the Sudan, here, here in Australia, um, it's four years into the colonisation of the, of, the, of the Gulf country proper, like the proper stocking of the, of the Gulf country with, with, with cattle. Um, it's an area the size of Victoria. It had been given to f- just 14 landowners, an area the size of Victoria had been given to just 14 landowners in 1881. All but two of them were wealthy businessmen who were absentee landlords that were living in the, that were living in the eastern states. They were investors from the eastern colonies. Um, there were strict stocking rules. Uh, use or lose the lease. You've got to use it. You've got to fill it with, fill it with cattle straight up if you, if you want to hold on to your lease. And there's a reason for this. It's because the South Australian Treasury was empty. This was a way of generating economic growth, of bringing money into the Treasury. We'll lease out these, these, you know, these, these new areas and we'll get money in quickly. They'll have to pay for the lease. It'll generate economic activity. They'll have to buy livestock, etc. In just four years from 1881 to 1885, an area that had virtually no cattle had, had 200,000 head of cattle and 10,000 horses had been put into the Gulf country. And, this be, and, and to facilitate this, there was wholesale, wholesale slaughter of the, of the local Aboriginal people, 50 separate massacres, uh, Robert's documents alone uh, in, in the Gulf country, uh, and that's a conservative estimate that there'd be many more, really. Uh, 15 to 20% of the local Aboriginal people is actually killed in violent, you know, in, in warfare, um, in the warfare, let alone the people that then died from, the, you know, starvation, you know, trying to hold on, you know, in the wake of that decimation. I'll just read a little bit of what this looks like. Like, I think it is important we face the truth. Uh, Tony Roberts says, for example, these punitive raids, adults and children received a bullet to the brain, while the babies, whether injured or not, were held by the ankles, quote, just like Goanna, that's what the local people said, and their skulls smashed against the trees or the rocks. Um, crying babies left behind um, in the campfires uh, that, the, that, the, um, that, the, that the, the massacres you know, sort, of, sort of went through. And let's have a look at who was actually involved in this slaughter, who, who ordered this and who, who perpetuated this. Uh, Sir John Cockburn was a minister uh, for the Northern Territory in the South Australian Parliament. Um, he, he had one of, these, one of these leases. In 1886, he dispatched uh, a police party that led, led one of these slaughters. Uh, just one, one of these massacres killed 64 men, women and children in one camp alone. He was the minister uh, for the Northern Territory in the South Australian Parliament. Sir John Downer, this is very interesting, the great-grand... I'm sorry, not great-grandfather, wouldn't want to put it too far away from him, the grandfather of Alexander Downer, who, of course, held, uh, you know, the illustrious posts in the Howard government, um, one of the founding fathers of the Australian Federation. Um, Robert says, an examination of the injustices and massacres on the frontier period reveals his name more frequently than any other Adelaide politician. He has a suburb named after him in Canberra. And he corresponded directly with Falsch, this butcher sitting up in Darwin. He, he, he directly approved these massacres. He kept them plied with guns, plied with ammunition, um, do what you like. And there's a bit of, you know, humanitarian do-gooder sort of sentiment around Adelaide. When these sort of stories start coming back of the massacres, people, people start jacking up and, and demanding an inquiry into, into what had happened, particularly that incident uh, with the Daily, Daily River killings. Downer, who's um, become, by this stage Premier, buries it, you know, has a, has a private inquiry where they have the chair of the inquiry is actually someone who's participated in massacres themselves, of course exonerate these people and, uh, you know, and, 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 and completely, completely let them off. Um, one of the murders in Alice Springs, uh, Wilshire, who's responsible for killing hundreds of Aboriginal people through Central Australia, he's the only copper that was ever put on trial 
uh, for these for these massacres in the Northern Territory that took place. And Downer, even though he was in the South Australian Parliament, took the time, he was also a QC, to go and represent this man in court, uh, Wilshire, and get him off. And he, of course he did get off. The only reason he was prosecuted was because there was a man called Gillen who became quite close with the Aboriginal people, the Arunda people in Alice Springs, who was also a Justice of the Peace, and, he, um, and, he, and, and so he brought a charge against Wilshire. Downer gets him off. Not only does he get him off, he then gives him a whole load of guns and a whole load of troopers, and he sends him up to the Victoria River in the Northern Territory, uh, which is where the, where the Gurindji people are, where, of course, he goes his merry way, you know, shooting, shooting people, shooting people as, as, as he goes. Um, so you can see, you know, can see very closely, you know, that, that, that actually... And one of the tragedies is, in terms of... We often talk about the boom and bust of capitalism, you know. You get these big expansions and then the unemployment. You know, they go for the quick buck, the speculators go for the quick buck, and then, you know, there's the, the, then there's the crash. In the Gulf Country, most of those leases actually are abandoned. You know, the resistance of the local Aboriginal people, the conditions are no good, the, the cattle are dying, etc. So they've gone through on this genocidal rampage and then most of these wealthy businessmen that are in it for a quick buck just sort of pack up and leave when the, when the cattle run doesn't actually work. So the, the senseless slaughter that's, you know, sort of there for, for trying to fill the coffers of the, of the, of the South Australian government and, and, and the pockets of these, of these um, wealthy, wealthy business owners. Um, it, I think just, just building some more on what's been said, there's also been some very good work done by this historian Timothy Bottoms looking at the colonial Queensland and the nexus between what was really a squatocracy in Queensland, the, the parliament in Queensland in, in 1850 when it starts to get its independence as a colony is purely made up of these big landowning squatters. You can't vote in Queensland unless you've got property rights. These people have got an enormous amount of money to make. They've got seven and a half um, pounds in the treasury uh, when, they, when they start the, start the uh, state of Queensland and so they um, try to have a massive expansion to try and fill up the coffers and, and sort of get the Queensland um, economy, economy moving. Um, the members of the squatting ministry themselves would be the first to benefit from all of this. Not only do they own the land, but they also own the sheep in the Darling Downs that will stock these um, leases that have been given out as they, as they sort of e expand across the place. And the quicker the sales of the sheep, the higher the price for the sheep, you know, because the demand, the demand itself would, would be higher. So... As has been mentioned here, there's these notorious forces called the Native Police Forces, and it's something that's not looked at, and I think it's something, it's just the brutality of what they did, you know, that they put the dispossessed Aboriginal people from the southern areas on the front line to do the dirty work of empire, you know, and the psychological impact that must have on those people, on their descendants, on the families that would have then had to live together on these, you know, reserves, these open-air prisons that were set up in Queensland. You know, you would have had the sons and daughters of the people who did the killing trying to get on with the sons and daughters of the local people who were killed, you know, kept in these, in these, in these uh, incarcerated conditions in the post-frontier sort of post era. It's just that the brutality of it and, and what that must do to people's psychology I think is very profound and, and needs, to be, needs to be looked at more. But this Native Police Force had developed a merciless, merciless reputation. Um, and, there, you know, in 1850 there's, you know, plenty of uh, more humanitarian uh, people who are lobbying for a different policy for the blacks and showing, like, model little farms in New South Wales where you know, you'd been able to have pe Aboriginal people live while they still had some, you know, sh some sheep on the area and this sort of stuff. These ruthless bastards say, no way, we're not having any of that, and they actually adopt a, adopt a policy of, of open extermination. So, as I said, the native police will actually set up a camp. The sole purpose of the camp is to kill other, ab other, other Aboriginal people. And in that 50 years that the native police uh, uh, actually rode in Queensland under the direction of uh, these maniacs uh, that we've heard about before, is white 
the whites lead the thing, and you know the whites pull the trigger. You know, a lot of the time uh, they're in charge of it. Um, uh, in the 50 years that they that they stood, it's actually estimated that 25,000 people were killed by the by the native police in in, in Queensland alone. Um, and and that's only that's only half the people that were violently killed in Queensland. The squatters uh, did their own private parties, as has been heard, organised their own their own private their own private parties and their own sort of punitive uh, punitive raids. I'll just you know read a little bit about some of these some of these squatters and. And who they were and what they did. Uh, there's a, a bloke called Cora Han- Halcom Wills who moved from Brisbane to Bowen in 1862. In his memoirs in the 90s, the 1890s, he said, there's very little dispersing going on in the colonies at the moment. Um, however, what this must be, uh, if you do it, you've got to do it on the quiet or you might get into trouble these days. But in my time, they were dispersed by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Dispersed means shot. Um, he talks about one particular dispersing expedition when I was in the, the company of a few squatters and their friends, um, uh, where he, you know, massacred people, and then he and then he kidnapped a little Aboriginal girl who rode on the front of his saddle, eighty miles to Bowen, crying nearly all the way. And and he amazingly says, um, I, I then took it in my head to get a few specimens of certain limbs and the head of a black fellow. I found the subject that I intended to anatomise, and when my friends were looking on, I commenced operations dissecting. I went to work, businesslike, to take off the head first, then the arms, then the legs, gather them together, and put them into my pack saddle. Um, that man went on to be the mayor of Mackay. Uh, yeah, so I think it just tells you, you know, an enormous amount about the, the psychology of the ruling elite in Australia. And it, it just needs to be said, all, as it's been said, all of these people have streets named after them, suburbs named after them, universities named after them, Macquarie, you know, Macquarie University, Macquarie Bank, Macquarie everything. This guy was a butcher. This guy gave orders to hang the blacks from the trees, to terrorise, you know, all the tribes in Sydney so, they, so, so that they wouldn't resist. And again, what does that do to the psychology? What does that actually say to Aboriginal people in Australia that, that, that mass murderers are put up as, you know, the, who you would name your school after, your library after, you know, etc. I think, you know, an enormous amount of the trauma, the psychological trauma that, you know, that's still with us today is, is you know, is, is, rooted in, is rooted in this time. Um, so it's a complete genocidal process in Queensland. The estimate that Bottoms publishes is, is actually that the, the, the population goes from about 250,000 Aboriginal people prior to colonisation, and of course these are just estimates, about 250,000 Aboriginal people in what's now Queensland prior to colonisation, down to about 20,000 at the First World War. So more than 90% of the Aboriginal people in Queensland perish. You know, as I said, so many of them perish at the hands of the violence of the massacres, the, the diseases, the destruction, the destruction of their livelihoods that go with it. And I, I just wanted to, to make a, a, a few points about the, the implications of this, you know, brutality and, and, and what it means for us today in the situation in terms of, you know, the struggle, etc., for Aboriginal rights today. The first thing is, that the, why is there such a hostility to the frontier wars? It's actually because those massacres are the foundation for all the wealth, the privilege, etc., that the ruling class in Australia has today. Ter- there's this myth that Terra Nullius was overturned by Marbo, you know? Terra Nullius wasn't overturned by Marbo. Marbo said if there happened to be some people somewhere that managed to hold on to some connection to land in the face of this genocide, we'll recognise this Mickey Mouse title, which gives them a right to negotiate with companies. Not veto what the companies want to do with their land, negotiate with companies. But the vast bulk of the land that was taken in this manner was taken and, and isn't given back and there's never been compensation for it, it's never been given back. So that bloodshed is absolutely crucial for the operation of the, of the property system that we have, that we have in, Australia, in Australia today. Um, 
the, I mean, the other thing that I, that I wanted to say is just, you know, I, I just find it so ridiculous, um, you know, this notion, as Howard's fighting his history wars, as Howard's standing up and saying there was no warfare, there were no massacres, you know, um, uh, etc., he's also saying that the social problems that you see in Aboriginal communities are the fault of the Aboriginal people themselves and is the fault of their, the, the fault of their culture. And, and there's this amazing thing that starts to, starts to you know, emerge very, very strongly in the, in the 2000s leading up to the Northern Territory intervention, that the violence, the, the, the assault rate that is very high in a, lot of, in a lot of impoverished Aboriginal communities is a result of pre-colonial Aboriginal culture. That, you know, the violence that you see is somehow because they had this savage culture beforehand where they used to, you know, had to do violence against women, etc. You know, never mind the fact that the babies were smashed and killed and that's what was shown. Never mind that the black people themselves were given guns and told to go out and do that. Never mind that they, let, they then had to live under the brutal regime of the, the missions and the, you know, and the protectorates or whatever. But somehow this, you know, violent pre-colonial Aboriginal culture is responsible for, you know, the high rates of assault or uh, which people are... Uh, so, you know, just the madness, you know, it's just ridiculous <laughs> when you look at it, when you actually squarely look at it, that, that you know, that the, that the problems, the trauma, everything that we see today is actually not rooted in that violence. You know, it's somehow they're, 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 they're responsible, for it them, responsible for it themselves. You know, because the conditions that people are left in and continue to be, continue to be left in are unacceptable. They are appalling, but the government has never wanted and never will want you know, they have to be forced. It has to be fighting, campaigning, fighting hard. Never want to actually empower an Aboriginal community here in Australia, give them the resources they deserve, give them the resources that are theirs, give them the land that's theirs, to actually pull their communities out of these, out of these sort of situations. And the reason they don't want to do it is because they hold the truth about the, the brutal, brutal, you know, nature of, the, of, of power in Australia and where it is, you know, and it's, and it's a threat. And it was a threat in 1788, it was a threat in 1884, and it's a threat today, you know, Aboriginal people who are refusing to accept the authority of the colonising power and, and, and stand up against it. Um, I did just want to make some other points about ANZAC, ANZAC itself, because it has been a long time that the Aboriginal soldiers who fought in the wars have been denied uh, the, the, the access to Anzac Day, whether it's not being allowed into the RSLs, whether it's not having their names written on the, on the plaques. A lot of Aboriginal soldiers did go and, did, did go and fight in the, you know, in, in the wars. And for a very long time, that horrible discrimination meant that Aboriginal soldiers were kept out you know, of Anzac. You know? But I, I think actually what we're seeing today is, I think it needs to be called an attempt to incorporate um, Aboriginal people into Anzac. Uh, there's this idea now that we will, we will celebrate the Black Digger. You know, the, 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 you know, when I was in Alice Springs, uh, I actually went to the, to the Anzac service. Like, I was asked to take some photos of a, a Black Digger, a uh, man I greatly respect, Jeff Shaw, who, who uh, Barbara Shaw's father, who fought in Vietnam. It means a lot to him. Had some arguments with him, but anyway, I said I'd take some photos of him on the day. And I went, and this ridiculous speech that was given about you know, our diggers and what they sacrificed and even Aboriginal people that didn't have any rights and they came back and they were discriminated against, even they sacrificed. And, you know, to sort of incorporate the, the black digger, that's all right. You know, they're going to build a memorial in Hyde Park, you know, to the, to the black diggers. They're, you know, they're going to... They've actually given an enormous amount of money to people to research the role that Aboriginal people played in fighting Australia's imperial wars overseas. But what they won't do... <laughs> is talk about the wars here. And I think that that's the, that is really, in terms of a cut against Anzac Day, the thing that has to be brought up 
again and again. You know, it's the imperialism overseas. You know, Anzac's about trying to create and foster some, you know, justification for ongoing imperialism overseas, ongoing imperialist wars, you know, etc. But it's also about trying to bury the truth about how Australia was really forged, how the nation was really forged, and that is, you know, the the, the blood and the and, and and the brutality that's meted out meted out to 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 Aboriginal people. So.